The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and IGN, and now, bloody disgusting. Everybody Hooray. calls me Bibs. You got published today. Hooray. Yay. Yeah, new gig. Yeah, Always exciting. I love those guys. Yeah, you can't put it on your resume until they publish you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, you never want to... It's, it's like saying Mazel Tov too soon. Yeah. Like, you don't want to jinx it. So, like, like I, I knew I had the gig for about a week, and I kept wanting to shout it from the right. rooftops. But, yeah, I got to... I mean, it's not like... I'm not going to be buying a new car anytime soon, but God knows I needed the work. And again, I like that publication a lot. Uh, John Squires and Brad Miska are really cool guys, so thank you very, very much. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Yeah. I, I, I occasionally write for IGN. I uh, write for criticallyacclaimed.net, and I was recently published in Film and Fishnets. So cool. A film and sexuality blog. So, um, or I guess online zine. It's you not like, even a blog. You like both of those things. You like film and sexuality. That's right yeah, up your alley. Film and sexuality are both things I'm very much into, so I got to write about them both. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's really great, man. Congratulations. Uh, I have an article in the latest issue. I have an article in the next issue as well. So Everything's really coming nice. up. Bibs and Whitney. <laughs> Hooray! Whee! And everything is uh, a little late, actually, because uh, uh, life got in the way. However, hmm. this episode was supposed to come out a couple of days ago. We're coming out with it now, and we're going to have another episode in just another couple of days. Like, this Im- was, like immediately. Like, so, like yeah. we're going to give you a couple of days to digest this in case you don't get to listen to it right away. We don't want to bump hmm. it off of your uh, podcast queue or whatever. But, uh, yeah, we, this was going to be our season finale of Cancel Too Soon. We decided this was such a long delay. We're going to do one more. A little, little bonus episode at the end of the season. And we'll tell you what that is at the end of it's, this episode. But it's, this episode... It's just like in Earth 2, where you got the season finale and characters died and somebody ended the, the season, like, in, in essentially frozen in carbonite, like in Star Wars. And then there was one episode after that, and dead characters were back, yeah, and there was were clearly no consequences. Rec- it was clearly recorded earlier, yeah. and it just messed everything up, and you don't know why they even showed it. Broadcast order and production order are never the same, yeah. for some reason. That's why I insist on our Star Trek podcast, that we do production order, because that makes right. more sense. By the way, we're announcing that today, too, apparently. We're no. starting a, <laughs> we're starting a uh, Star, War, uh, Star Trek podcast. You said Star Wars, you I jerk. almost said Star Wars. Yeah. We're starting a Star Trek podcast that will be exclusive for our Patreon listeners. Patreon.com slash canceled too soon. However, stick around because the Patreon is going to be having some changes with the new season. We're going to uh, shuffle around our tiers a little bit, change some of the stuff we're offering you. Mm. Uh, so, And we might even change the name because at the moment we have three podcasts and we're going to put them kind of all under one banner so they'll be easier yeah. to find. However, all of our current patrons, they don't have to change anything. They don't have to switch around. If they decide they want to switch tiers after we switch them around in a couple of weeks, more power to you. We understand Completely, but hopefully the new tiers and the new system and the new title will encourage even more people to come on board, whether they're bigger fans of Critically Acclaimed or The Two Shot mm. uh, or Cancel Too Soon. Hopefully it'll be friendly yeah, to all yeah. of them. So stick around. Cool announcements coming. Also, at the end of the episode, we're going to tell you how... Screw it, let's tell them now. Mm. <laughs> Our, the, la- the last episode of the season is always followed by our awards in which we give out awards for the best worst and weirdest shows uh, this that we reviewed the, all year the third annual SUNY awards yeah uh and uh, every year that's s-o-o-n-i-e we, yeah every year we invite all of our listeners <laughs> mm-hmm. uh to vote for the episode of the podcast that they liked the best mm-hmm. and based on that is the, not not the best show we have covered but mm-hmm. Your favorite episode of our discussion of the show we covered. And based on the votes we get, we do listen to those earlier episodes and say to ourselves, okay, so they like it when we do this, they like when we cover these kinds of shows, and that does affect our programming. Yeah. Uh, We're going to do things a little differently this year. Uh, First off, the people who vote are going to have the opportunity to win, randomly, four different prizes. 
We pu- if you vote, we put your name in a hat. Do you still have the Totoro hat of doom? I somewhere? do. It's not okay. on the table, but I do have it. Okay, we have a, a Totoro hat. We put your name on a p- slip of paper. We put the slip of paper into a hat, and we will draw four names at random, and each of you will get one of the following fantastic prizes. Prizes. Tell them, Johnny. Okay, I'm Johnny. Apparently, mm-hmm. uh, first off, you will get to pick a cancel too soon episode of your choice. Some limitations apply. It does need to be a series that lasted only one season or less, and we do need to be able to find it. Yeah. Other than that. Go hog wild. Knock yourself out. Mm. We'll do anything you want. Even if you think we'll hate it. Especially if you think we'll hate it. (laughs) Uh, Second prize, you're going to be able to pick an episode of the two-shot. Now, the two-shot is the podcast we have over at the Schmoes No Network, in which we review one of the worst movies ever made and one of the best movies ever made in the same show. If you win this prize, you get to pick one of those movies. Mm. Basically, any movie you want, we'll come up with a double feature. Those are the rules. Uh, now, typically, we try to choose uh, for the month of April. We we choose one of the best. Or we no, choose one of the worst. We, cho- we choose one of the worst, and they choose one of the best. Um, although, if you want to choose one of the best or one of the worst, that's typically the way the show is structured. But you're welcome to do whatever you like, as long as we haven't again, covered it before. It's fair game. Yeah, if we haven't covered it, and again, we have to be able to see it somehow. Those are the only rules. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, another winner will get to pick a list. Uh, that Whitney and I will uh, come up with for a future episode of Critically Acclaimed, our podcast where we review new movies and do an editorial topic or some sort of list of recommendations every single week. Uh, that list will uh, uh, be anything you want, basically, so long as it's something that uh, either we can research reasonably quickly or we're already pretty knowledgeable about and it's something we haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Other than that, again, go nuts. It's your prize. You will get to enjoy it however you want. Uh, and then lastly, as our sort of runner-up prize, uh, you get to pick, whoever wins this prize gets to pick the topic of the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. So you get to pick a TV movie, miniseries, special, some other piece of television, ephemera, and we will review that on one of our Patreon-exclusive shows. Yeah. Now, the only rule that we are changing this time is that because we have actually quite a few Patreon voters, uh, listeners right now, you have to be a Patreon listener for your vote to be counted on this poll. However, we will be changing our tiers, and if anyone wants to sign up and they can't afford the $5 tier or the $10 tier, we totally get it. We're going to tell you this right now. We're going to be adding a $1 tier. That's right. The $1 <laughs> tier, all you're going to get, you're going to get uh, uh, to vote for future episodes. That's right. You don't get any of the extra bonus content. We do want people to be encouraged to spend a little more so we can make the time for that. But we want to encourage people who maybe can't afford a lot of money. Uh, we want to cre- come up with a system that helps them a bit and lets them feel involved. So if you want to sign up at the $1 tier and vote, that's awesome. And we would <laughs> love that. Um, and if you can't afford it, we understand completely. But, yeah. you know, we're... We, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to grow this podcast, so we're doing the best yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we do listen to you if you email us, canceltoosoon at gmail.net. If you follow us at CancelCast or at William Bibiani or at Winnie Seibold, and you send us a message, you tag us, you want to talk to us, and if you want, you're on our Facebook account, Critically Acclaimed and Cancel Too Soon, we do listen. So thank you very, very much for everybody. And now, can we talk about the show? Sure. Cool. All right, so once again, that's patreon.com slash cancel too soon. That address might change in a couple of weeks, but for now, that'll get you there. Mm. Uh, This week on Cancel Too Soon, we're doing a show. We've had a copy of this show since this podcast began. (laughs) It's been waiting on our shelf. and It it came up in a couple of polls, and it didn't win, and it just never, we never quite got around to it. And it's one we've always kind of had our eye on. Yeah, because it was a really prominent reboot of a very popular mm. show. In the 1970s, there was a television show called The Six Million Dollar Man. Which so was 1973, and it lasted like five years, and Six I, Million Dollar Man. And full disclosure, I never watched it. I didn't, I was, it was before my time, and the reruns yeah. weren't on at the right time when I was a kid. I just never watched it. I, I never saw The Six Million Dollar Man. However, there was a spinoff in 1978, 75? You probably should have looked that up. I probably should have looked that up. <laughs> in the mid-70s... <laughs> There was a spin-off. There was a spin-off. The, the, first off, the, the Six Million Dollar Man. 1976. The, the plot of the Six Million Dollar Man, if there are any kids in the audience, because it hasn't really been in the public eye for a while. Mm. Uh, there is a guy, and he was in a horrible accident, mm. and rather than you know treat him like any other person, he had like the best health insurance plan in the world, and they decided to spend $6 million, which was a lot of money at the time. 
Uh, like nowadays, that'll you know pay for a colonoscopy. Like back then, you could get <laughs> cybernetic limbs that'll give him superhuman powers. So, and he, yeah. every week he fought a different bad guy. And one his, time he teamed up with a yeti, and it was cool. His name was Steve Austin after after the wrestler, or uh, before the wrestler. Well, before the wrestler. Yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> Anyway, uh, at, and then eventually he had, there was another bionic person. This time it was called the Bionic Woman. And she had her own series. It didn't last quite as long, but it was very popular. Mm-hmm. And um, there were like t- crossover team-up movies, but uh, she had uh, bionic legs, a bionic ear, mm-hmm. and a bionic arm. So she, was, she could run really fast, lift heavy things, and hear from a, a distance. Right. And uh, although many, many, many attempts have been made to update the $6 million man. In fact, memory serves, I think Kevin Smith was writing a script once called $6 billion man. There w- well, no, he wrote the $6 million man, and this was like shortly after the success of Clerks. Like, the studios sw- swept in and said, oh, yeah. we want you to do a big blockbuster. And, you know, Kevin Smith said, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, he collected his paycheck. And- he wrote the screenplay for a Tim Burton Superman movie about the mm-hmm. death of Superman. He- I read that script. It's better than the one they made. <laughs> the, uh, I think he's made it's more... It's still not great, but it's better than the one... I think he's made more monies on unproduced screenplays than he has on his own movies. That's, that would not surprise um, me. Either. And then there was, uh, they were going to do like a, uh, the comedy version, like in the early 2000s was going to be the $6 billion man. Mm. And I think that was a Todd Phillips joint. And Doesn't surprise me. I think Jim Carrey was involved in that one. That would have been memory weird. serves. And it, it was going to be like a funny version. It was going to be like Starsky and Hutch. Even a funny version, I think it would have been weird. But anyway, yeah. but anyway, there were many, many attempts. And then the thing that finally got off the ground wasn't the $6 million man. It was the 2007 TV series of the Bionic Woman. Wednesday in two weeks, Jamie Summers is ready to take on the world. So I'm going to Paris. But a familiar face will prove to be her biggest challenge. Could you zip me up? Mixing business. Relationships can compromise the mission. With pleasure. Let me help. What do you weigh, a buck ten? Thanks. Whatever. Bionic Woman returns in two weeks. For more, go to NBC.com. And it's not a sequel. It's a proper reboot. Yep. Nothing, uh, no no crossover characters. Uh, yeah, there's, nothing at all. And there's no Steve Austin. Uh, yep. The main character, the bionic woman in question, is a very young woman. Uh, she's like... She's, she's in like, college. She's still in college. Well, she would be in college. She had yeah. to give up college in order to take care mm. of her little sister after uh, her... Her... Their father, their mother, I think, was always out of the picture. Mother, and their father died in an accident. No, I think the father, like, no, because remember, uh, she, her father. I think there's like, mm. are they half siblings or something? And then like the father's out of the picture because she keeps saying she's gonna go live with dad, and she keeps saying oh, good luck right. if you can find him. Okay, yeah. So dad, dad is absent. Yeah. Anyway, dad is absent. Yeah. Uh, and, ja- Jamie Summers is the name of the main character, and she has to look after her younger teenage sister. Mm-hmm. They're living together. Uh, she's in a horrendous accident, and. Her body is saved by this shadowy CIA-like organization that is definitely not the CIA. <laughs> it, is uh, a, it is a it is a it was a for-profit organization that's mm. it's the CIA, but they like private CIA. But it's a private CIA, so that makes it better in this fantasy universe. Yeah. And and I don't think it has a name. They're just like, no, it does. It does. The, what is the it called? Agency or something? No, no, no. What are they? Oh, what do they call it? Uh, the Burkett Group. The Burkett Group. B E R K U T, which I don't know what the yeah. significance is of that. It's an odd name. Um, now, the whole idea of bionics, that is, machines that can be incorporated into living human bodies, was a really kind of novel concept, this really weird science fiction idea in the 70s. Right. And we never outgrew that idea, because I remember in the 1980s there was a sh- an animated show called The Bionic Six. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, hold, remember, hold on, hold on, hold on, yeah, hold on. You're going to sing the song, aren't you? I'm going to play the song. All right. A family brought together by faith and given superpowers through the miracle of modern science. A super secret family. I cannot hear Uh, or think the name Bionic Woman without adding in my head. Bionic, bionic, sick. Um, It's a terrible show. 
I watched it. No, it was for the time. It was fine. <laughs> it, it the animation quality was atypically great. That's true. It was, and the it stories was were as good as anything else going on. I suppose so. Um, they were a little hazy as to what bionics were. Like one of them had a bionic brain that gave her psychic powers. I have it's a like, bionic baseball bat. Yeah. That's what that means. It wasn't as bad as Silverhawks. <laughs> Who what the hell was Silverhawks? I liked Silverhawks. I liked it cool too. Toys. I loved it. I had all the cool toys. What the hell was it? I couldn't they tell were, you. They were space guys. But uh, by the time we get to 2007, the idea of having like a fake robot part is just sort of old hat for science fiction. Mm-hmm. So they, and it's, honestly, it's not very far outside the realm of possibility. Yeah, so like. They, they, uh, uh, Arms for people who you know are missing appendages. We mm-hmm. have arms and legs that are very effective now. They're not yeah. super powered yet, but they're you know they could get there theoretically. Yeah. So we're it's... talking about eye implants increasingly more. You know these things are not unusual. Not, I mean, if not you think so about far it, off anymore. If you think about it, surgically implanting like a Bluetooth headset into your ear is all her bionic ear is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's it. There's also an amplifier, but yeah, Jamie Summers is an accident, and just like the original Bionic Woman, she's given. Uh, bionic legs, one bionic arm, and a bionic ear, but in... And an eye. And in this one, she has one bionic eye as yeah. well, which, like, she can zoom in with her eye. She doesn't do a lot from the with the eye, but it connects to, like... It has that really obnoxious robo-vision where mm-hmm. there's, like, readouts in her field of vision giving her information. Right. Can you imagine living like that? What a pain in the ass that would be. I think you get used to it after a while. You gotta. Maybe. Right? I think she can turn it on and off, though. Like no, I, she, think it, yeah. I think that's the idea, and mm-hmm. that there are different modes as well, which we surely we would have explored had the series gone on. Mm-hmm. Let's give some basic rundown. Uh, Bionic Woman aired on NBC from September 26th through November 28th in 2007. It was cut short due to a writer's strike. And it was not renewed afterwards because mm-hmm. the ratings, although it started off, the ratings were great when they first started. It was the highest midweek premiere rating that NBC had had since the West Wing. Wow. Okay. So it started off as like a real monster hit. Mm-hmm. And then it just slowly dragged down mm-hmm. a little bit. And uh, um, yeah, it just ended up with, we're still a respectable 5.93 uh, million people watching the last episode. Um, but the, it wasn't for NBC. Those weren't great numbers. Which, for my money, was the best episode. But we'll get to that. Um, okay. The, and it was created by David Ike, who had a heavy hand in rebooting uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yep. And a lot of the cast of this show is mm. Battlestar Galactica veterans, including mm. uh, Katie Sackoff, who plays the evil Bionic Woman. Uh, and a bunch of other minor characters throughout the show. Yeah, and uh, it makes sense that you know Battlestar Galactic is a big hit. Big hit. It's a really famous science fiction from mm-hmm. show from the seventies. What do we? What's another science fiction show from the seventies that we can reboot? And the Bionic Woman is perfectly logical. Mm-hmm. That was that would be one. That would be like in my top three. Like, yeah. The other one would be Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, and no one would see that. So. <laughs> And the other interesting uh, uh, creative uh, in, uh, person involved in this endeavor uh, is Leda Caligridis. Uh, Leda Caligridis is a writer, and she has written a lot of movies and TV shows about androids and cyborgs. <laughs> nice. Including, but not limited to, Alita Battle Angel, okay. Terminator Genesis, and the Netflix series uh, Altered Carbon. Oh, nice. Okay. So, so this she, is her wheelhouse. So she, she knows robots. She she really yeah. she knows, and she clearly is very fond of robots. Mm. And I think I've interviewed her actually. And okay. Good for her. So her passion for it's very very clear. Mm. Uh, it stars Michelle Ryan as the bionic woman Jamie Summers, so a British actress, but playing an American. This was like this period in time when everyone thought she was going to be the next big thing. She had this big hit show. She was a really memorable character on Doctor Who for one episode. Mm. Uh, she co-starred on that BBC series Merlin, which is fine. It's the Smallville yeah. of King Arthur, but it was good. And I'll say this. She's the best part of the show. She's good. She is really good. Uh, she has... Uh, there's a tendency in these sorts of shows to try to uh, cause a balance that never really works. Because uh, once she's given her bionic parts after the accident, she's inducted into the private CIA. Yeah. And now she has to... Now she has a secret identity. She's like a superhero. Yeah. She has to work for this shadow organization, but not tell her sister and just go about her daily life otherwise. So she's like college student by day, CAA robot by night. Okay. Yeah. So ever since like the 1990s, shows have been afraid to do the dual life thing. You know, like the sort of superhero secret identity thing. It's, it feels a little it's, played out. I, I mean, it's definitely played out. It was it was played out 50 years ago. <laughs> but uh, but 
this is a show that I think was able to do something that felt a little different with the secret identity, where she was torn between these two universes. She seemed more human and seemed really reluctant when she was in the field. She wasn't just all of a sudden this killer badass. There's actually a cool thing they do. It's a smart decision where her bionics, and by the way, it's not just those parts. She has like nanites like in her body. Yeah, they, they allow they, her to like they if call she them hurts her anthrocytes. Yeah, yeah, they allow her to heal really quickly if her skin gets damaged, that kind of thing. But mostly, it's just those. The arms and uh, right. the legs and the arm and the eye in the ear. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, they do a really, really good job of finding that balance. And one of the tricks that they do is her bionics have like a reflex mode mm. where they know how to defend her. Yeah. They have like reflexive, like martial arts built in. However, it's not creative. And if she's in a fight with someone who actually knows what they're doing, she could still be injured really, and get, really get hurt, hurt yeah, and die. Yeah, yeah. So she actually has to train, but the idea is that she can go out in the field right away and do really, you know, sort of basic missions mm-hmm. because her body won't let itself be injured, which is a neat idea, actually, and I think that but, works. Yeah, it's, it's a neat idea, and uh, it really nails the whole idea of the reluctant superhero, mm-hmm. because she has these parts. She's essentially partially owned by this company. She's kind of a slave to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unclear as to how much they're funding her personal life, like, are they giving her paychecks? I think they'd have to. They, she they, really is yeah. dedicating a lot of her time to those guys. Yeah, they, they don't ever say, like, what her pay is or talk about her pay grade. And I think they do a really good job of balancing that she is not... Uh, everyone else at the Burkett group is clearly, like, former CIA or former mm. military. They've got a lot of discipline. They've seen a lot mm. of battle or, you know, they've lived hard lives. Again... She's raising a sister all by herself, and that ain't easy, but it's not the same as seeing people around you get blown up in battle. So she she approaches everything with a lot more sensitivity, and that really could have been... Like this death trap where like you don't like her because she refuses to, to like take charge of anything. Well, like, but like she's actually finds a really good balance really, really quickly where she sees it as a responsibility and something she has to overcome, mm. but she also won't let the people at the Burkett group off the hook if they treat her bad. Yeah. yeah and that yeah. throws and, them off their game and makes them more human as a result. It's a good it's a good balance. It's a good balance. Um but a lot of the act a lot of the characters at the the CIA Institute are they're played by good actors, but they're not very interesting characters. Which is a damn shame, yeah. and I think they knew they had uninteresting characters, so they really beefed up yeah. uh, the so, cast. For so example, good, good cast. Yeah, so for example, her boss mm. is played by the great Miguel Ferrer. He mm. plays Jonas Bledsoe. Uh, Miguel Ferrer has a really good history of being the best part of not very good genre shows. <laughs> like, that's kind of his thing. Well, but, and also, you know, notable presences and. Some class, like he was in RoboCop. For no, he was, in RoboCop. he was in RoboCop. He was Twin in Twin Peaks. Peaks. Yeah. He's the he's career best performance, if you ask me. In that um, Stephen King movie, The Night Flyer, he was hilarious in that David Lynch show we covered on the air. Mm. David Lynch did as, a sitcom, as the, the angriest man in the world. Funny yeah. show, like seriously, he, that was so long ago. I don't know if our list, listeners remember mm. it. Boy, is on the air a funny show, and I wish they put re-release that on DVD or something. I don't yeah, care. It's man. so damn good. Um, okay, so we got that. We've got uh, Ruth Treadwell, played by Molly Price from Third Watch and The Nick. Uh, she is the second-in-command, but she's also uh, the staff psychiatrist, and one of her jobs is to make sure that all of these bionic attachments aren't screwing with... Jamie Summers' head. Yeah. Which doesn't not, quite not, pan out, but you get the impression it really would be important I, later. I appreciate that they put that character in there, but they don't explore any of the story elements no. uh, inherent to that. Then we have the character of Jai Kim, played by Will Yun Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Yun Lee, of course, was in Witchblade, Die Another Day, The Wolverine. Now he's on The Good Doctor. Uh, he is ostensibly very, the person... Very versatile actor. <laughs> very versatile actor. Uh, he is ostensibly the person who is there to train... Uh, Jamie Summers in How to Fight, but also it turns out he has a history with the evil bionic woman mm. uh, who is... Oh, I forgot to write her name down. What's she had like a weird name? Oh, the Katie Sackhoff character? Yeah, Katie Sackhoff's character was... Sarah. Her name was Sarah. Sarah something. Okay, Sarah Corvus. That was Sarah Corvus, yeah. Yeah, Sarah Corvus. Uh, she was the first attempt to turn a woman into a bionic woman. I don't know if gender is a coincidence or not. I, I think it was. Yeah, it's yeah. Just But uh, yeah, the problem is it was an early version of it and the implants drove her homicidally mad. Mm. And now she is... She faked her own death. They thought she was dead. She is out with the original creator of the bionic implements trying to help him do a bunch of evil stuff that never pans out because the series got canceled and she is kind of in hock to him because they keep promising we'll fix you yeah if you help us if you kill all these people we'll fix you and they never do partially because the show ended 
<laughs> but um, and Katie Sackhoff, I'll, who I'll was say, so damn good on Battlestar Galactica, like a real breakout star-making mm. turn. Okay, in Battlestar Galactica, she's amazing on that show. I, I don't. I remember her being unremarkable in the pilot, but I didn't see the rest of the series. The pilot, so, um, I think she she got a lot of opportunities to grow throughout the series. I, whatever. I, I, liked, I liked her in Oculus. I, yeah, she was I, good in Oculus. I hated her character in Riddick, however. So I'm, I'm I run not, I don't, really hot and cold with Katie Sackhoff. I think Riddick's not her fault. I don't think that. Yeah. I think there's good stuff in that movie, but the her character was one of them. Written very badly. Agreed. Uh, here, they know she's mad, but they don't seem to have a particular idea of why or how or how she thinks differently. Mm -hmm. She's just cool insane. Whereas, like, she's gonna, like, in the middle of a fight, she'll, like, stop, one second, I'm gonna have a cigarette. Doesn't matter, because I'm bionic. Exposition? I'm a badass. Gonna throw that away? Boom. (laughs) Game on. And I'm like, okay, that's not nearly as cool as you think it is, because I don't know what's the matter with her. I don't Mm -hmm. know what... How her mind works, like and, people and who the were... show starts with her introduction. It's like she's she escapes the bionic lab. That's the way the, the pilot begins, and then we're supposed to. That's and so I guess that's sort of our entryway into this. It's like mm-hmm. bad things can happen. So this is a dangerous times. thing. This is yeah. not fun, lighthearted bionic mm-hmm. woman. This is dark bionic woman. But when she comes back, yeah, they make her, t- and she's supposed to be like a killing machine who's sort of grizzled and she's hurt by, but yeah, by this Terminator brain that she's been given. Yeah. They play it so badly. They mm. they don't let us get to know that this is a character who you either make her an unstoppable killing machine with only like glimpses of soul. Mm. Like we stop at one point and she's like, I hate that I'm doing this. You and that's all that. you need. You can have one scene, one line even. Yeah. Even a good look will do that. And we never get that moment because they're too busy playing up like her, she's talking too much and she's really wacky. And she's really angry in one they, scene, and then she's really happy in another, and she's sympathetic. They're you know, they desperate don't ever... for her to be a breakout character. Yeah, they're just desperate. They, for they're it. throwing so much at this character that she sucks. <laughs> they just she emerges as some, uh, this Again, non-entity, and it's a tragedy because I really like Katie Sackhoff as an actor, and mm-hmm. I think clearly it's a role that she could have done good in. But yeah, the writing on it is just all over the place. And in the a problem really bad is way. they devote so much of the series to drama with this character. Like the first four of eight episodes mm-hmm. are almost. They're more dedicated to Sarah Corvus than they are to the bionic to woman. Jamie, yeah, and the last member of the main cast is uh, Jamie's sister, uh, who is Lucy Be- Hale, yeah. Becca, played by Lucy Hale from Pretty Little Liars, Scream Four, Truth or Dare. And this is something I thought was interesting: the original pilot of Bionic Woman, this of the rebooted version, had to be changed because originally the sister was played by Mae Whitman. Okay. Really excellent actor, mm-hmm. and the idea was that the sister was deaf. I, I like Mae Whitman. Okay. Anyway, so originally, the Bionic mm-hmm. Woman's sister was deaf. Now, personally, I think that's a fascinating development. A, because there aren't a lot of people with disabilities portrayed mm-hmm. uh, on television especially in the first a, place. Especially not a deaf character. Absolutely. And it raises a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I would have loved to have seen the scene where her sister finds out, you have a bionic ear? You know I'm deaf, right? I I, I mean, should have. I imagine that, yeah. she's signing this or that, she, whatever. Mm. But like, regardless, that that's a thing. That's mm. something that you could have really illustrated. And instead, apparently, an NBC executive said, "I don't like that she's deaf. Don't make her deaf." And yeah. they recast her with Lucy Hale. It's not Lucy Hale's fault. Well, and they recast why, her. Why as, even recast her? That's I, well, maybe Mae Whitman wasn't available anymore. Uh, maybe she didn't like the direction. I couldn't speculate. But uh, they recast her with Lucy Hale. And they wanted to recast her as, and this never came to fruition, but this is what I've read. They wanted to recast her as a cool young hacker. Oh, I'm glad they didn't do that. Oh, I know. Especially in 2007, how it played out. That like, was so in, tried in, already. In, in 1994, it, it was... By like, the time Hackers came out, that was dead. Hackers yeah, yeah. killed it. Hackers and was, was the ultimate version of it, and then we're done. It was already kind of old. Like, people were laughing at Hackers in 1995 when it came out. It's like, yeah. this, this is not the way the internet works. Even, it's still fun, but it's not the way it works. Uh, oh, I love that movie. Me too. <laughs> it's terrific. <laughs> but accuracy is not one of its strong points. No, it is not. Uh, yeah, so oh, that would have been death. I know, really would have killed it. And, uh, and, and, and again, Lucy Hale's a good actor. I like Lucy. Lucy Hale's a good actor, and I think she did an awful lot with another really underwritten character. She's mm. just supposed to be sort of like sassy, dissatisfied high school girl. Which and, admittedly is the high school experience for a lot of people. Yeah, and especially from the outside. All you know, If you're a parent of a teenager or if you spend a lot of time with teenagers or you just sort of have experience with teenagers, you 
then you start seeing the nuances between teenage people. But if you sort of grew them, like view them as a group, uh-huh. like a studio boardroom of writers might. Yeah, they're not they're, people. They're, they're a demo. Yeah, they're, they're a demo and they all have the exact same personality traits. That's and, and that's the way they wrote her. And I think Lucy Hale did a lot to make her bratty but human. Well, I think it all boils down to they did give... Lucy Hale and Michelle Ryan, a lot of scenes together in which they get to just be sisters. Yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. always about, because she's the only person. They give, they finally give Michelle Ryan a couple of friends in the second episode, like just personal friends that she just happens to know. Mm-hmm. They never get anything to do other than occasionally torpedo her cover story. Because, <laughs> hey, she was supposed to be out skiing with you. Why, why aren't you there? Oh, that's uh, right. So, Cute. I was returning shoes. You're supposed to be skiing. And I appreciate that they gave her friends because it implies that she has a life. Mm. (laughs) Something that a lot of shows forget to do. But, uh, yeah, they give Michelle Ryan and Lucy Hale just enough stories and just enough scenes with them just being siblings. Michelle Ryan trying to be maternal even though she's not that much older mm-hmm. and how much of a struggle that is for her because Do they she her should... age? she's like 19 or 20 uh, Michelle she's pretty Ryan, young she, yeah. I think she's like 22 or something like that she's still young yeah. She's too young to be I think she was having like, to do all this by herself. I think uh, Michelle Ryan was only 25 or 26 when they shot it, but I think mm. she's playing younger. She's playing younger. Mm. She she should be in college, but she had to skip college mm. because she couldn't take all that time away from taking care of her sister, right. who's in high school. Um, so, yeah, my point is they're really, really good. And I actually really, really, really like... Uh, Miguel Ferrer because he's able to take a character who just seems like a boring mystery guy who Mm. knows all the secrets over not a lot of time he develops a somewhat paternal relationship with Michelle Ryan and Lucy Hale that is really quite believable but Mm. also still very stern and he's really their boss he just has a vested interest in their happiness and And I like him he's so good he's such a I miss him so much he's such a good actor he brings a lot of pathos to the role that I think a lesser actor wouldn't have brought like you can see this guy is just some sort of grizzled desk pounder and he does that but yeah he's able to put a little bit of melancholy that gives him some some humanity all of these things, all of the great things, are things that the actors are bringing to the show, Pretty and much. not that the showrunners or the writers are bringing to the show. No. And I think that's kind of the show's failing. I agree. Uh, this comes from a, sh- uh, a period in television, the, the mid two thousands, and we talked about this uh, with Birds of Prey, which was when... also co-created by Leda Colagridis. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, era maybe talent also was also no. a coincidence, but. Uh, when TV was moving from serialized forms into longer forms that was being exploded by cable TV at the time, and network TV was trying to do long-form, season-long story arcs, but still have bottle structure within there, and that was... I mean, there's a way to do that, but there was a lot of growing pains. It was basically this era. the show that nailed it for the very first time, if you ask me, mm. was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm. Um, the first season was a lot of really awkward growing pains. From the second bleh. season, I know you didn't care for it, but mm. second season onward, they did a really good job of balancing consistently solid, done-in-one episodes, but every single one of those episodes had character development and some sort of plot element mm. that did carry over and told a seasonal arc. Okay. And the idea of the seasonal arc was just in case we get canceled because we are on the WB. <laughs> every season has got to feel like our last season. Every season's mm. got to just wrap everything up and be super mega epic at the end. So it needs to build and be really, really satisfying. Okay. So it worked. Fear kept the show afloat. It did. Yeah. <laughs> it really but, did. but as a result, uh, Bionic Woman has a, like a few... It, it only lasted eight episodes, and there's like two major arcs within there. There's the mm. Katie Sackhoff arc, and there's the CIA boyfriend arc. Yeah. Uh, and those all... They tie in together, but they within those arcs, they go to so many different sort of scattered places mm-hmm. that the arcs start to falter a little bit. Well, the first four episodes are all kind of a blur. Like, if you yeah. ask me, like, what were, like, the done-in-one, like, episode storylines for one through four, I couldn't tell you, and we're gonna have to remind myself as we go through it. Let's talk about the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already gone through most of it because a lot of it's set up. We didn't really talk about uh, her boyfriend, Will Anthros. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the car when there's the car accident. Luca, do you mind? Lucas playing hockey. <laughs> Lucas playing hockey with his food dish. It's really funny. It's also really loud. <laughs> we're gonna have. We're gonna ask you to stop. Okay. <laughs> Goal. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. Anyway, mm. uh, her boyfriend. It turns out he's the guy who invented all this, or one of the guys who invented all of these bionic attachments. She's in the car accident, and he realizes he can save her, and so he does. And at first, she's just like. 
<laughs> Luca, I swear. Let, let me take that dish away. Hang Let's on. do that. Keep on talking. Okay. Anyway, at first, she's very, very upset, but very quickly, because it's a pilot episode and we don't have time for post-traumatic stress, she gets used to the idea. And then just when she starts, like, kind of, you know, coming to terms with where she's at and what her boyfriend hasn't been telling her, uh, he's killed by Katie Sackoff. They have a fight on a rooftop in the rain, and it leads to nowhere, and then the episode <sighs> is over, and her boyfriend... At the end of the episode, it's clear they don't... They haven't decided if the boyfriend's dead or not. Like, they're, in the oh, next yeah. episode, we haven't decided if we're gonna leave him alive after the pilot, and then they decide, screw it, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. next episode begins with his funeral. We don't need him anymore, it's over. And then over the course of the series, we do find out this might not have been entirely a coincidence, and he was keeping files on her all along, seeing if she was a good test subject for the bionic program. Which I... That was a wrinkle I hate. And it's such a lost thing to do. Well, it's... it's uh, This notion of... We're, we're trying to... We're trying to have Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back at the same time with all of our... Uh, all of our, fi- our fantasy fiction. And hear me out here. Star Wars, if you look at it from Luke Skywalker's perspective, is about a guy who's just living on a desert planet somewhere. He has no promises. You know, his only idea is, like, wants to go down to whatever station it was to get power converters. And that's his life. It's kind of boring. And he gets swept up in this big epic when he sees this hologram that he stumbles upon by accident. And, you know, eventually he's blowing up Death Stars. This little, little nothing. And it gives hope to the audience members. We are little nothing people who can be swept up into this gigantic epic of some kind. And really, if you think about it, Uh the movie begins not with Luke Skywalker, but with the droids. And Mm. the droids are the ultimate sort of everyman. Yeah, they're they're these, they're not the heroes, they're just these things on the fringes. Mm -hmm. It brings us into this big epic battle from the outside. And by the time we get to the reveal at the end of The Empire Strikes Back, uh, where Darth Vader says, I'm your father, and it turns out Luke was, like, kind of destined to be involved in this all along, like, that's exciting the first time, (laughs) but we've had it a billion times since then. And when... Every character is now destined to be wrapped up in this epic battle. It makes them a lot less interesting, and it makes us as viewers unable to relate to them on the same way. We, we can't picture ourselves being swept up anymore because we're not destined any longer. I know, and that really, I hate the destiny shit. Yeah. I hate the great man yeah, idea the, of heroism. The, the, the birthright. This is one of the reasons why I love The Last Jedi. I thought that theme was really exciting. Mm. This is one of the reasons why I really disliked the amazing Spider-Man movies. A, I didn't think they were well put together in general. Well, yeah. But B, the idea that only Peter Parker could have been Spider-Man mm. because his parents experimented on him as a this. child. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they built a super layer in the subway. And like, and I'm like, you know what? No, no to all of this. The point <laughs> is, he was he could have been yeah. literally anybody. That was literally the point. And if you take that away, he's not interesting anymore. Yeah, so we we've had this sort of literally everybody thing, and then once you do that long enough, the writers start thinking, well, what if there was a plan all along? What if their father was yeah, actually father, a bad scientist? Don't they, care. They did that with the girl with the dragon tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did it with twenty four. Uh, like Jack Bauer, turns out his dad was involved they, in all this. The they whole did time, it with yeah. Alias, although Alias was there from the beginning but they made it worse over time yeah. and, and, and and now we're at a point like in 2007 when they just want to do it right away it's like okay anybody could have suffered this accident and you know she's an every person who could have gone through this and now has superpowers what would you do no but in episode three no it turns out you were involved in this all along i know it's it seems like it's good writing because you're tying all the pieces together but, but actually, you're not you're just retconning stuff you already wrote you're just making it so insular that mm-hmm. we can no longer connect to any of it and maybe over an extended period of time by season seven mm-hmm. if you want to start playing with it because yeah they've by season seven of their they're saving not every, the world every week. They're not every, every week. person anymore. Yeah, they're a superhero. It's yeah. like John McClane by Die Hard 5. After he's done this five times... <laughs> he's not just an every guy. He can't yeah. be. You've lost the thing that made him interesting. It's gone now. So he's just another action hero dude. Like, that's it. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so she she goes off and she fights some guys. She fights that. Yeah, those um, first four episodes really are, are, are really kind of just a big lump. Um, yeah. There's too much time with Katie Sackhoff. Uh, yeah. They they don't have a good handle on the character, and yeah, and and Jamie is the the best character. She's the one with the most nuance. Uh, yep. You said that she has some sensitivity. I think it's really gentleness that she has. I think I think she, so too, she yeah. is a gentle person who is asked to do acts of violence, and she really uh, stands counter to the ethics of that. And that's something we don't get in a lot of action shows or just action movies or any action sort of 
storytelling. Discussion of ethics. The discussion of the ethics of violence, yeah. specifically. Um, you look at uh, you know all of the, the superhero characters. They are characters who are beholden to a life of violence. That's what they do. They fight. All of the superhero stories are about who gets to fight whom. Who do you punch in the face? How many people of us... Uh, how many people of us? <laughs> how many of us uh, just punch people in the face as a matter of course? Right. No, almost never. No, like you, you're, nobody. Even, yeah. even if your job is to be a police officer mm. or a soldier, it's always supposed to be the last effort, the last mm. ditch thing. And that's why I always love it when, like, even like action superhero movies do away with that. Like, I really, really, the movie itself is probably formulaic to a fault. But there's some really good stuff in Doctor Strange, and I love the ending of it <laughs> because the ending of it is him using his wits. Non- yeah, yeah, it's nonviolent resistance. Wow, it's a really brilliant like the, ending the, the, to a superhero. The bad movie. guy is the one doing the violence there, and the good guy is doing no violence. Yeah, so that's, actually, yeah. in fact, the good guy is offering himself up as, an, as a sacrifice, but infinitely. Yeah, it's such a clever idea. Like it's a really good mm. bit in an otherwise just okay kind of, movie. Kind of plain movie. Yeah, it's fine. It's just mm. like the ending is fantastic. Um. And I wish they'd gone through more of that here. There's one bit early on, so we didn't mention, uh, is it Isaiah Washington? Yeah, yeah, Isaiah yeah. Washington shows up in the second episode as her new handler, uh, ostensibly because, look, we killed the boyfriend, we need another guy in here. Uh, <laughs> and Isaiah Washington's a good actor, you know, he brings a lot of gravitas to everything he does, um, so that's fine. Starts training her and stuff, and there's a mission that they're on in which, uh, ostensibly, they have to kill the guy they came to save to make sure the information doesn't get out. And she refuses to let that happen, and she goes rogue. Mm-hmm. I mean, not forever. They bring her back in real, real fast because, well, you know, we don't. She's the only bionic person we have. <laughs> we should probably keep her around. But uh, yeah, no, like that's a that's an example of her being confronted with a morally and ethically complicated situation right. and behaving in a way that a soldier wouldn't, mm-hmm. but is still right. They're both right. Yeah. His well, whole thing, we need to kill him to prevent the information getting out. He's not wrong. She just disagrees with... His means, the, yeah. With the means. Those means are monstrous. I don't agree with that, and I think it's worth I'm, the risk. And so she takes that risk. Yeah, and it the, actually doesn't the, pan out, but she tried, and that's no they, they put that's a little. They, they put a little idea in there. You know, what, what would happen if... This organization that's used to dealing with things in violent ways has somebody who objects to the violence. Great. I feel like like Star Trek was really good about that. It's like, okay, we got to go in guns blazing. And then, like, Kess will step up. Wait a minute. We need to be gentle. <laughs> Thank you, Kess. You're off the show. Um, <laughs> that's not interesting. Go away. <laughs> that's a Voyager joke. Put, put a coin in the jar. Um, <sighs> we'll get to it on our new show. <laughs> All our yesterdays premiering soon on Patreon. We've already recorded the pilot. We just want to get a few in the can before we start getting them out there. Um, But yeah, that's the one interesting notion. I wish they played with it more. And I think they do when they introduce uh, her, uh, the CIA character. Okay, so yeah, the Uh, fifth episode. The fifth episode, it starts picking up, I think, in the second half. In part because without... The whole Katie Sackhoff storyline, which I think they could have fixed over time. Mm. You take her away for a while, say she had her wires crossed, something like that, and now she behaves differently. You get a better mm. character out of it. That's savable. It's yeah. a bad. It's putting a not. It's not putting a good foot forward, but that's savable. So what they do is they take her out for a while, and she never comes back again after the fourth episode. Whatever. And we're off to the episode, The Education of Jamie Summers. And in this one... She has to go undercover to college. Yep, which is what she wanted to be doing anyway, so it Mm. really fits her character. And, for no particular reason, she decides to adopt a British accent. Which is really great for Michelle Ryan, who is British. Who's a British actress, she just gets to use her normal voice. And I love it when when TV shows, like, contrive (laughs) reasons for people to use their real accents. Although, um, Damien Lewis is a British actor, mm-hmm. and he was in that movie Dreamcatcher. Oh, yeah. And he's infected by an alien, and the alien makes him British. It's the weirdest <laughs> idea. But for some reason, he decided to put on, like, the fakest British accent. I like, know, he's it's... a really British, but he sounds like he's affecting it. I love how stupid Dreamcatcher is. That is the dumbest possible movie. I it is love so it good. so much. <laughs> it's so like, silly. It's like the worst Stephen King movie and the best one at the same time. Uh, but in any case, while she is uh, investigating, this possible uh, theft of important scientific secrets at a college, uh, she runs into a guy who she's got instant chemistry with. It's her TA in this science class, um, and she thinks that this guy might be, sadly, the guy that she's after. Yeah. And it's really putting a damper on her dating situation. But the twist is, 
the reason it looks so suspicious is because he's a CIA agent investigating the same thing. Yeah, which which decent, is a decent enough twist. It's a cute wrinkle. Um, more than anything, the actor is um, Jordan Bridges. Jordan Bridges. He's Bo Bridges' son. Oh, and, uh, I thought he which, looked familiar. Which is why yeah. you might he might look a little familiar. Well, he's, he's acted, and like, he's, he was in, he's actually done a lot of acting. He was in that show. Uh, did we cover? No, he was in a different show called Conviction. <laughs> he was in the other Conviction. We will get to the other Conviction uh, at some point, but there was another show called Conviction. But uh, uh, he was in Drive Me Crazy. He was mm. in Mona Lisa Smile. He was in a a rather uh, uh, good uh, like Lifetime Christmas movie called Holiday Engagement. We interviewed the director of that. Oh, that's right. And that's okay. why he looks familiar, because it started him Bonnie Somerville and Shelley um, Long. He has that Hallmark Channel look to him. Like, kind of non-threatening good looks. But what he does have is a hell of a lot of chemistry Mm -hmm. with Jamie. Yeah, they're good together. They're really good together. I I believe their relationship and I wanted it to succeed. Yeah, and when when it's like, okay, and we're doing the same thing and that changes the nature of our relationship, you believe it when they say, but let's keep trying because there's something here. So the next episode after the pretty good college episode Mm -hmm. is, I think it's it's my favorite episode. Mm -hmm. It's called The List. And here's the curious thing. Because of a fluke of the way I consumed this show, this was the one I saw first. Oh, that's weird. Okay, <laughs> that's weird. That must yeah. have been real, real, real. Like, shit. like, a, like it's a, a like a, I played it and it was like playing out of order. It's like, is this the first? Oh no, this is not. And I looked it up. Oh crap! I saw the sixth episode first. That's well, so I weird. have to piece this together. So uh, uh, basically, what happens is at the end of the episode, uh, Jamie and Tom uh, they had sex. Mm-hmm. Good for them. And now Good, I'm, he, I'm, I'm glad sexual relationship cut the tension, damn it. And they <laughs> Just and do it. Here's the thing, though. Uh. They both have really shitty jobs and he hasn't called in weeks. Mm, and she's starting to feel, and she's starting to feel pissed off, and she's trying to talk about it with her sister, but like kind of elliptically, so that her sister won't know that she's a secret agent and she's sleeping mm-hmm. with a CIA guy. Um, but what happens is, and I actually thought this was—it seems like bad writing. But I think it's actually good writing. We find out that Michelle Ryan actually believes in that book, The Rules, oh, which it, is which it, is which was. If you don't remember the rules, good. Oh, you mean you mean the secret? No, the secret was uh, was about like sort of. Positive, positive thinking, thinking will yeah. help your life. No, the rules was about, or I think it was like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It's basically mm. about how these are the rules of dating. We don't talk oh, about yeah. them out loud, but one of the rules is women shouldn't call the guy. Like, <laughs> real, and, and her sister calls it out. That's stupid and sexist, and mm. you should just call him if you want to call him. But she refuses to, and like she's she's got some room to grow as a person, which I appreciate. And so she won't call him. However. When they do need to go undercover with a CIA agent in a joint operation, she does say, well, I already know that Tom guy. We work together really well. We should just get him. Mm. Is this because you want to fuck him? No, 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 no. Well, yes. Are you insinuating something? Oh no! So they go under. <laughs> yeah. So they go undercover in Paris, and of course, it's a romantic city, mm. and they have to go to fancy balls, and it's fun. There's a lot of good chemistry there. Mm. He doesn't know she's bionic, so there's a couple of bits where they have to like break down a door, and he's like, "I'll do it," and she's like, "Well, let me do it." What are you talking about? You weigh like ninety pounds. She's just like, "Oh, you son of a bam!" <laughs> All right, but I loosened it. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> Their relationship is so great, yeah. and the the actors are so good together. It this should have been just a two hander. It probably like, should have. They been. never see their bosses. It would be like, you, like get, you get a handler. May, maybe you, you keep you, Miguel Ferrer. You keep Miguel Ferrer, but you you keep those people a little bit more off to the side. And, and you get like one guy who's like an expert in the bionic stuff. Yeah, who we yeah. haven't talked about yet, and I hate that character. But um, but you make it more like moonlighting. Yeah. Like these two people who are just sort of going through their everyday jobs, but they, their everyday jobs just happen to be these like high-powered spy jobs. Yeah. Uh, mm. One second. Uh, Kevin Rankin mm. uh, is the the is the tech guy. Yeah. Is the tech guy, and he uh, he does all the tech stuff. He, he's he's the currently one on that awesome TNT show Claws, and if you're not watching Claws, mm. it's great. Uh, but yeah, he he's the guy who sits at all of the screens and is always in mm. Jamie's earpiece. And you need is, that guy. You need that guy, and you always have to make him a little bit awkward. And like he's not the one out in the field for a reason. Well, it turns out the reason why is because uh, he has no sense of workplace propriety, and he's really gross and should be fired. Yeah, well, he, it's not that he's, he's awkward; it's that he's sexually harassing. He, he doesn't just he doesn't just flirt. He says some pretty off the edge things. Yeah, like he, ab- about her and her body. I know there aren't a lot of people her. who are like an expert in this technology, but train them. 
because this guy is terrible. He's a terrible well, well, character. Or you have one episode where he says those over-the-line things, and he's confronted at the end of it, and he that learns the lesson. Like, it's you, like, you know what? Not fine. It'd be better. No, I mean, that's a way to address it. It's like, yeah. we've had this character before who says, you know, who says really inappropriate flirts to their female counterparts, and the female counterpart should sit him down saying, look, this may have worked with you and your male colleagues, but you don't get to say those things with me. Do better forever now. Mm-hmm. You screw up once, we, and I break your arms. They and, had you know, that line in, uh, uh, they had that bit in Pitch. Yeah, there Where you Mark go. Paul Gosser's character was a butt smacking guy, and he was just like, "I'm just, I smack butts. You're gonna have to get used to that." And she's like, "No, not with it's, me. It's yeah. different, and I'm setting a boundary. And as my well, teammate, and, you have to respect that." And and uh, there was and a, he grew. It was it grew. It was great because he thought he was still doing the right thing. He doubled down. He, he said, like, "No, up I'm for just himself. treating everyone equally. I'm going like, to no. do what this because this is me treating everyone equally." And it was actually a pretty good speech about maintaining his sexism. And yeah. and she says, "Nope, it's different because I'm a woman, and you don't get to do that." And he's like. Well, shit, and then the, and the episode ends that way, and he actually and he never does that again differently afterwards. He, that's good. There's ways to address, like, have it and address it. They don't address it on the Bionic Woman. He's no. just kind of a, a sexist mook. Yeah. Well, in any case, they do the whole France thing, and that's mm. pretty good. And then they go right back to being dark again. Those two episodes mm. were like pretty solid. Yeah. And then they go right back to this episode about someone who's going to assassinate a foreign dignitary. And then it turns out it might be Isaiah Washington. But then it turns out it's the woman who broke his heart. And he can't do it. He just can't kill her. So Isaiah Washington dies. And I'm, and uh, now Michelle Ryan's really, really sad mm. because he was a co-worker. And then the next episode's about her dealing with it. And then uh, Miguel Ferrer orders her to take a vacation. So she does. But she oh. ends up having to do work on vacation anyway mm. and protecting like an evil assassin mm. whose son her little sister has a crush on. Uh, it like- gets pretty... This was your favorite episode. It was my favorite episode. Why is that? Well, this, this one didn't. This one seems so contrived to me. Well, it's it's contrived, but it's the one time where I felt like we got sort of the the bottle that they really kind of wanted to do. Mm. Where we did have consequences from the previous episode, which incited the action of this one, but it stood alone. The bionic woman is on vacation, so we get to see her be a person. Mm-hmm. We get to see a lot of time with her and her little sister. So there's a lot of sisterly stuff. In fact, one of the plot things is. We're going to do things. You, I'm taking your phone. And one of the cute conceits is she keeps getting calls from Miguel Ferrer, but she doesn't have her phone on her. So he has to find creative ways of contacting her. Yeah. So it's like white courtesy phone. What is going on? What are you doing on the white courtesy phone? Yeah, he's Miguel got this Ferrer? like magic caller ID that tells you everything about the person calling. And it actually leads to a really clever twist, which I like. Yeah. Where was... she has to borrow a phone from a guy who works at the hotel. From the valet. Yeah. And he sees like, oh, you're, who is this guy? And she's mm. just like, I don't know. I just borrowed the phone from him. And then mm. later on when Miguel Ferrer shows up and she points out that's the guy whose phone I borrowed, Miguel Ferrer immediately shoots and kills him and says, that's not the guy who came up on the phone. Uh, oh, so that was a guy who stole the valet's phone. Yeah, that was yeah. a guy who probably killed the valet and stole his identity in order to get close to you. That was cute. That was cute. That was, that was a good setup uh, and payoff. And, I and yeah, I, I liked that she actually got to do spy stuff where she yeah. had to put on a good face but also be part of the action plot, was trying to relax but wasn't allowed to. It gave a lot about the characters and it wrapped up really tidily. I thought it was really well written. Here's the thing with this episode that mm. drove me a little nuts. Luca is on the table next to the oh, microphone. Hello, Hi, Luca. Luca. Are you going to meow into the mic? Are you going to purr into the microphone? Are you going to give us some good purrs? He's rubbing on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We love you too, buddy. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, this episode really calls attention to one of the, I think, the lamest conceits okay. in the show, which is the secret identity thing. Now, we mm. talked about how dual identity shows had kind of fallen out of favor. Yeah. Like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer did it for a while, but, like, then it was gone because everyone she knew knew who she was. Mm. So the the episode in which you have to pretend to be somewhere you're not and keep the secret so your mom mm. doesn't know, that was all gone. The only person who doesn't know her secret, who she's really, really close to, is her sister. Mm-hmm. In this episode, and she, she talks about how, oh, and I can't tell my sister anything. Miguel Ferrer says, I never said you couldn't tell your sister. <laughs> it's family. You're allowed to tell family. That, that's your choice. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's not on us. You can't blame me for that. And then at the end of the episode, she decides, I'm just going to keep not telling her. And I was like, mm-hmm. just tell her. 
She'll think it's cool. Like, I don't understand. It's such a weird... I guess she wants, like, her life with her sister to be normal. Yeah. And I get putting that off. But at the same time, it's clearly not. You just just, Her sister's, like, 15 or 16. She, you know, she... People... Still still is young enough to have an ordinary... But at the same... Need to have an ordinary life. But at the same time... I'm not saying you need to, like, induct her into Mm. the Burkett group. I'm just saying people who are police officers tell their kids. People who are FBI agents tell Mm. their kids. I understand if you're literally in a clandestine thing, like you might not tell your kids, but 99 times out of 100, if you're in a dangerous occupation, you're at least allowed to tell your kids. Yeah. Here, she is. They specifically say she is. And it's kind of all on her. All this contrivance is just her being almost atypically non-confrontational. She's confrontational all the time with everyone at the Burger yeah. Group. So it's just kind of a weird bit and mm. I just was like, I'm just Look, waiting she's, for you to... She's just inherited this responsibility taking care of this younger person that's just very close to her. I can understand why she would be too cautious and she wouldn't be too cavalier about letting her sister know about the violence in her life. Granted, it is only and, eight and, episodes. And yet. the central conflict of the character is, how does a gentle person deal with being inducted into a world of violence? She doesn't want to share the violence. She doesn't want to perpetuate the violence. She doesn't want to t- talk about the violence. Okay. I think that's fine. I think, okay, I if mm. that's what they're getting at, mm. fine. However, I think... That needed to be discussed in more detail because, frankly, the way it plays out is we are desperately trying to fight to keep a double identity subplot going because we can fall back on it. That's how it plays to me. You're right. There is some character motivation that could justify it. I wish that had more screen time. I wish everything had had more screen time. Well, that's the point of our show. A lot of of the great... (laughs) Oh, that's true. Uh, But a a lot of the greater elements are things that are only hinted at and things we're extrapolating on. Mm. Uh, Apart from, like, the chemistry between Jamie and Tom, which is real and is actually in the show. Yeah. all of these like interesting or intriguing ideas and plot elements are just things they kind of blow by. Well, again, it's, and eight, it's the first eight episodes they would have mm. wanted to build on it. Eventually. Well, I understand that, but give us more. Don't give us nothing but setup. I feel like what they did. I feel. Like, I feel like giving people nothing but setup was seen as this golden ticket for television after Lost yeah, came out because yeah, Lost, Lost was all set up and almost no payoff. But the setup was intriguing, so people got into it. What I think a lot of people missed was the setups were intriguing because. They spent time on the characters. Mm -hmm. The characters were really clearly defined, and every time you learn something new about them in a flashback, it grew the character. It didn't, Mm -hmm. like, annihilate them. It didn't make them less interesting. It wouldn't feel like pointless backstory. It's like, oh, now that we see them off of this island, we see who they were before, and they're wildly different, or this completely changes the way we've been perceiving their their Mm -hmm. uh, interactions with everybody. It was all based on character. Everything, the, the plot was just the gravy. Yeah. Here, in something like Bionic Woman... They treat the plot as if it's the most important thing. So the plot has to be really, really good. The plot isn't really, really good. Mm. It's really contrived because it's all a setup. It's all the same setup as the original series. They changed a lot of different elements, but it's still basically we created a bionic woman. Now we have to do something with her every week. Yeah. And that's... Luca. And that's uh, uh, something that they just didn't find time to get away from. I appreciate... That for the first four episodes, they tried to be super like evanescence dark, <laughs> you know that kind of evanescence mid, that dark. early mid two thousands kind of dark with like lots of like really crappy lighting like, go, and like goth rock. Yeah, it just it just feels really phony and fake. It always did, but when you look at it now that we've officially like way moved past that aesthetic, mm. boy, it's it's as dating as like. The split screen was in the Thomas Crown affair from the sixties. Oh, you know, it just—it's so there. There is so retro. Now. There is no more embarrassing cool than early two thousands cool. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, no, <laughs> I've, I've seen it's pretty I, bad, but I, and I've seen, I wore those like orange and brown striped shirts in the nineteen seventies. I, I was there <laughs> for at least some of the seventies. I would just uh, I would just I put it to you that early nineties cool. Mm. Almost, if not equally, as bad. That that was pretty embarrassing. That too. was when kids ruled. Yeah, but you know, new metal wrecked so much. It did. It did. We have not yet come to terms with the impact new metal has had on like, our. Like we're just trying to ignore that whole new metal wave. It's like everyone says Daredevil was bad. You know why Daredevil was bad? New metal. Well, that's why Daredevil was bad. There's also a lot of things in that movie that don't work. I know you like the movie well, more I, than most, but I, I think it's a better, I, don't, I don't love it. I just like. I it. I think it's a better yeah. script than it is a movie. I don't think okay. Mark Stephen Johnson brought a lot to it. That's for sure. Yeah, which is ironic because he wrote a pretty good script. But anyway. Um, mm. So that's Bionic Woman. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, got canceled because of writer's strike. Might have kept going mid-season if it wasn't for that, but it didn't. Mm. And they just decided 
it's radioactive, it's gone. Yeah. By the time we bring it back, everyone will have forgotten about it anyway, and the ratings weren't that amazing by the well, time it was and, done. And, and they just weren't writing it that good. It was, and all the potential is there. Again, the cast yeah, is solid. Cast is fine. Cast uh, is solid. Yeah. The premise is fine. You know, mm. not amazing, but fine. There's a lot of unanswered questions that I wish they would have gotten into. Mm. You know, like, uh, there's so many, like, different plot points. But if this show had kept going on, mm. what they really needed to do was they really needed to lean into the bionic stuff more. We have the creator of the bionic stuff. He's a bad guy. Mm. Why isn't he out there giving people bionic shit? They don't need to have, like, or, a bunch of Terminators out there, but what if just, like, every other time uh, she goes out and there's some, like, CIA assassin or whatever, it's just like, and it's a guy, and yeah, he's got a bionic arm, too, or he's got a bionic eye, or, or he's... Or you, you could do the Hannibal could, Lecter thing. They've captured him, but in order to get advice on the bionics, they have to, like, go to the prison and talk to him. That would be yeah. fine. Or, like, you know, guys who can electrocute people. You know, it's a re- did you ever end up seeing Upgrade? I haven't seen Upgrade Upgrade yet, is pretty rock solid, and I wish more people had seen it, and it does a lot of this stuff, where there's a lot of characters who have cybernetic enhancements that are kind of clever, mm. um, and a really low budget, too, but in a, but it, it still works. And, yeah, I feel like we needed that, because when I watch this show, the show that I realize, I don't know if they watched Bionic Woman and learned, from the, le- and learned the valuable lessons, or they just nailed it the first time out, but the new version of Supergirl, the TV show Supergirl, okay. has this setup. <laughs> like, it's really weird. So we, we, it's Supergirl, and she's trying to be a normal person. She's trying... Superman does the Superman thing. I don't need to do the Superman thing. I can live a normal life. And then she is pulled into a secret government organization that's tracking down aliens on Earth. Mm. And it and turns she's out... she's a super-powered alien, yeah, so why and, not? And it turns out her sister is already working there and hasn't been able to tell her because it's a secret organization. <laughs> and so it's about sisterhood. And they get to actually bond with that. And Supergirl isn't a soldier, so she brings a different kind of... You know, that sort of Kansas morality, that old-school <laughs> Capra-esque morality to a really dark system. And they handled that transition really, really well. Okay. Supergirl, I, I fell, I, I fell by the wayside of. It. I just couldn't keep up because I had too much to do. But I really liked like the first two mm. seasons of that show, and I feel like that's the kind of show that Bionic Woman could have been. Yeah, with a little, even if it had just gone on. Mm. I actually am going to argue that this one was canceled too soon because all of the pieces are there, and none, none of the mistakes are so bad that the show couldn't have fixed itself mm. by the end of the first season. Well, I think if they had taken, like, it was taken off the air because of the strike. If yeah. they had taken a little bit of time mm-hmm. to rethink it a little bit, mm-hmm. not change the, the premise fundamentally, Nothing but wrong change, with the premise. change a lot of the sort of interior elements and written it a lot better... <laughs> Then they, they, they could have changed done... the tone a bit. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the two episodes with Tom, the CIA agent, mm. that's the sweet spot. Yeah. That's yeah. your show. So, that's a great so, show. So they had it. So I'm, I was tempted to say, yes, it was canceled too soon. No, it was not canceled too soon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they actually had something for a second there. And there was enough promise to give me hope. <laughs> so are you saying it was canceled too soon? So I'm saying it was canceled too soon. I agree. All. It's not a passionate canceled mm-hmm. too soon. It's not, they nailed it and this is a tragedy, but... It was so close. It was so close. Really could have gotten there, and and it could have gotten there really quick. And Michelle Ryan is so bloody great. (laughs) I love her so much. Did you see the episode of Doctor Who she was in? No, that was after I put Doctor Who down. It was uh, one of the last David Tennant episodes. Oh, then I guess I did see, because I saw the David Tennant It was the one, uh, what what was it called? It was the one where the, the she's a thief, and the bus ends up on an alien planet. Oh, yeah. It's it's called like the Ghosts of Mars, or Waters on Mars. No, Waters on Mars is the one right after it. Okay. There was one right before. Okay, I forget what it was. But yeah, yeah. She's great in that. And I kind of wanted her to become a series regular because she was so much fun. So yeah. I, I love her. I wish uh, I wish she'd had a bigger success out of this. And maybe if I, it had gone on, she could have uh, really broken out. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, she's just terrific. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Well, um... That is it for this episode of Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back really soon, like in just a couple of days. With our official season finale, uh, and it is going to be the fi- the two failed pilots. They, they tried twice with this one, and radically different interpretations. Yeah, like they tried yeah. completely different things. So it's really kind of fascinating to put them back to back. But uh, remember, Mad Balls. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> if you don't remember Mad Balls, we'll talk about it in detail in the next episode, but Mad Balls were yeah, a, a plush, a kind toy, of Nerf-like toy product from yeah. the, the mid-80s. They were they were balls. They were like the size of like large wiffle balls, and they were they're, cushy. They, and you they were the size them. of baseballs, William. They were, they were, were, were some that were kind of bigger. They, were, they had basketball versions. Though. They had multiple there, there were, sizes. There were, a, there were spin-off balls. There was a football, a basketball, and a soccer ball. But the idea is that they had like scary monster faces. Mm. So they were mad. Gr- gross scary monster faces. Like, yeah, like I, scars and falling out. Drool and blood and, and, an, yeah, yeah. and an eye and a hand and or a skull and everything and it was it was fun I, I had mad balls I think they were they were a delight a huge hit and it was one of those weird toy properties that didn't have a show on at the same time well they had two pilots they're radically different and oh boy do we get to talk about those so we're gonna talk about those real real soon uh, just as a reminder in case uh, uh, you know it's been an hour. You've, you've moved on. Uh, we are going to have our big award show in just a couple of weeks, and we're encouraging everyone, everyone to join our Patreon. Our Patreon subscribers get to vote for their favorite episode of Cancelled Too Soon. Once again, not the favorite show that we've reviewed. That can be your criteria if you want, mm. but we're asking for what's your favorite episode of the show. We'll yeah. announce the winner, the, the show that got the most votes. On our awards show, and we will also announce on the Patreon which four people mm-hmm. get to dictate content on four mm-hmm. of our different podcasts. Dear God, we have a lot of podcasts. <laughs> but you get to dictate that, and we're going to pick mm-hmm. them at random. And it can be any tier. You can sign up for $1, and again, we don't have a $1 tier yet. We're going to change our tiers over in a couple of weeks. The $1 tier, you will get to vote on episodes of the show. So if you want to sign up and you only have a dollar a month to, to share... You can vote, and maybe you can dictate an episode of Critically Acclaimed, or The Two Shot, or Cancel Too Soon, or the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. Mm-hmm. They will be chosen at random, and uh, if Luca's well-behaved, maybe we'll let Luca do it. To, to pick the, the yeah. paper out of the hat? Why Let's not? do it. He's, he's okay. good. We'll he's, put a, he's fun. A little he likes little tuna, scraps of paper. A little tuna on each scrap. No, 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 no. He doesn't need it. <laughs> he, oh, just okay. likes, he just likes stuff. <laughs> yeah, just have him dig something out. There you go. Um, so uh, join us uh, next time for Mad Balls. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you haven't subscribed, uh, please do. It really helps us find a new audience. Uh, if you can't afford Patreon, we understand completely, but follow us on Twitter. We're at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you find the show. That would help us out a lot, too. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. Mm-hmm.